A talk trigger is a strategic operational differentiator that creates conversations. It's something that you choose to do differently in your business intentionally so that customers notice and tell one another about it. Welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 318. Today is Sunday, the 10th of March, 2019. And this interview is with my friend Jay Bear. Jay's a seventh generation entrepreneur, a New York Times best selling author of six books, and the founder of five million dollar companies. His latest book makes for a great read, as it's all about getting your brand to stand out with these famed talk triggers. In this podcast, Jay and I discuss how your brand can look to stand out, develop an enduring word of mouth strategy, and create a buzz that is sustainable. Jay has a number of great constructs and insights that he spins via some concrete use and business cases. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss branding and all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host, and you'll find the show notes on my eponymous site, MinterDial.com. Enjoy the show. Jay Bear, thank you for coming on the show to talk about your latest book with Daniel Lemon, Talk Triggers. So, uh, obviously, Talk Triggers is a, is a really cool name. You've really uh, ta- taken that space. The, the point is we're talking about word of mouth, Jay. And the one I wanted to start with was how has word of mouth changed and what is Talk Triggers bringing to the show? Well, thanks, my friend. Great to be here with you. Uh, let me define a Talk Trigger first. A, a Talk Trigger is a strategic operational differentiator. A talk trigger is a strategic operational differentiator that creates conversations. It's something that you choose to do differently in your business intentionally so that customers notice and tell one another about it. The, the problem that we have today in business is that we all assume that competency will create conversation, that if we just run a business that executes well, that that will naturally spur conversation. However, that's not actually the way the world works, and that's not actually the way human beings behave. We are wired physiologically to notice things that are different and ignore things that are average. I don't know all of your listeners. I'm I'm certain that I know some of them, but I know this to be true. Nobody ever says, ever says, hey, let me tell you about this perfectly adequate experience I just had. Like nobody says that because that's a terrible story. It's not a story interesting to tell, nor is it a story interesting to receive. And what we're trying to do with talk triggers is give businesses a system that they can be strategic about word of mouth and do word of mouth on purpose instead of doing it uh, on on accident. The big shift in, in word of mouth, in some ways, it's the same as it's ever been. The big shift, of course, is that now we have not only online word of mouth and offline word of mouth, but, but, but those two things are of about equal uh, size and importance. So back in the day when it was strictly offline, word of mouth was really important. But now with social media and ratings and review sites and other ways that consumers can talk about businesses, uh, you have this second amplification opportunity uh, that can be incredibly important. So within this notion of intentionality, at some level, John Janch had a recent podcast where he talked about well, referrals happen by accident, and if they happen mm-hmm. by accident, it's more natural, and if it's more natural, it's more powerful. As soon as we start introducing intentionality, then you could have the risk of artifice. 
Yes. So how absolutely. do you how, how do you make sure you don't go down that route? I think, and John's right. Uh, I think the challenge that I would have with that premise is that in talk triggers, we're not suggesting that you make a referral. We're, we're suggesting that you do something that creates a conversation. If that conversation subsequently generates a referral, well, that is by definition organic. So a, a talk trigger is not a way for somebody to say, hey, you should buy carpets from this store. It's a way for somebody to tell somebody else about the experience they had with the carpets. And if they connect those dots and choose to patronize that business, that that's on them. So uh, you know, there there is really a difference between uh, a conversation about an experience and and a referral. It's almost um, we define it uh, not in the book, but in other work we've done as sort of a proactive versus reactive uh, word of mouth, and and the psychology and sort of the circumstances by which those conversations occur are actually quite a bit different. Absolutely. So, the idea of uh, of creating talk trigger triggers to talk um, <laughs> was as you as you write about it in the book is this notion of your of storytelling. Mm-hmm. You know, execution is what gets you the buy. This, That's right. This trigger is or, what gets or, the, or, the, or the maintain, right? right. Or, or customer retention because you offer a quality experience. So you've got these, this uh, opportunity to, to spread the word. What's your story? And the thing that was interesting to me is, is looking at this as an opportunity to craft who you are. And, and if I take, you know, you had so many wonderful examples in the book. Some right. of them I, I, I kind of scrunched my eyes on trying to figure out how protectable is the idea because you do talk yeah. about these ideas having to be protected but at some level creating the story as Johan Ari says well what's in the states everyone says well, what's your story mm-hmm. and and what what is the story of your brand and so often it's going to be the history of my brand but in the case of Doubletree for example you have this mm-hmm. cookie example why don't you explain the cookie example to us so Doubletree uh, is one of the brands in the Hilton Hotels portfolio one of the 14 brands or so that they operate and Doubletree has had the same talk trigger for 30 years. And every day for 30 years, they, they give a warm chocolate chip cookie at check-in to each guest of the hotel and all their properties worldwide. Mentor today and tomorrow and yesterday, they will give out approximately 75,000 cookies a day, which is a lot of cookies. Now, Daniel and I did a lot of research for this book, a lot of first-party research, as we always do. And one of our research projects was a global survey of Doubletree guests. And we discovered that 34% of them have, uh, without being asked or aided in any way, told a story about that cookie uh, in in the recent uh, past. So what that means, if you sort of do the math on all of that, that every single day, 22,500 stories, approximately, are told about that cookie. Now, the parallel question is, you know, when's the last time you saw a Doubletree ad? And the answer is not very often because the cookie is the ad and the guests are the sales and marketing department, uh, at least at some level. Robert Stevens, who's the the co-founder of Geek Squad, uh, the services arm for Best Buy, is one of the people that I just really uh, admire in business. He's such a smart uh, guy and sort of sees around corners. One of his most famous quotes uh, is that advertising is a tax paid by the unremarkable. And that's not 100% true, but there's definitely truth in it. And and Doubletree is one of those brands that's able to not only use their talk trigger to create conversation, 
but also use it to save tremendous amount of money that they could that they would normally have to put into advertising. Now, giving away seventy five thousand chocolate chip cookies a day ain't free either, but in comparison to what it would cost them to maintain uh, sort of brand awareness in the marketplace as a hotel chain, it's a small price to pay. So. Yeah, I mean, figuring out the return on investment is one thing. But the thing that struck me about the chocolate chip cookie is that, for me, it's a sort of all-American story. Yeah. And, and, the, and, and the question I have is, A, how do you make that the double tree story? I mean, there is no mm-hmm. such thing as a cookie in a tree, much less a double tree. Yes. And, and so how does that become the double tree yeah. DNA, and how do you protect it? Yeah, great question. Let me answer the second one first. You, you can't really protect it. And some talk triggers don't get protected. I'll give you another hotel example on that front. Um, about 10 years ago uh, or so, I think that's right, uh, the Weston Hotel chain rolled out a thing called the Heavenly Bed. And their idea was that they were going to have the comfiest bed in all of hotels. This bed is going to be like a, like a dream, like a cloud. And they did a bunch of advertising around that and, and kind of primed the pump and, and sort of used it as a talk trigger. Like, we're going to have the best bed. That's our thing. Well, all the other hotels are like, oh, that's a really good idea. We can't let them have that. So Marriott came out with their own bed and Hilton Garden Inn and a bunch of other places and Hyatt, and, and they just couldn't protect it. They couldn't defend it. So they don't use that anymore, and they've had to change their talk trigger to, to something else. Uh, and that happens. Sometimes you just can't protect it. Double Tree's um, kind of moat, if you will, is that the cookie is warm. It's not just a pile of cookies on a counter because that is inherently unremarkable. Lots of hotels will have fruit on the desk or cookies or whatever. Like, who cares? They have an oven behind the desk of every hotel installed in the wall. And so it's not just like a cookie. It's A, a really good cookie, and B, they give it to you warm. Now, how it fits into their brand is an incredibly perceptive question because relevance is one of the four R's of a talk trigger, one of the four things that that your differentiator kind of must contain. And we, we say that because when we, when, we, when we investigate the idea of talk triggers and, and word-of-mouth strategy, what we're not talking about is sort of going viral. And, and for you listeners, I'm throwing up my air quotes there. Uh, we're not talking about going viral. We're not talking about um, publicity for publicity's sake and let's rent an elephant and walk it down Main Street. Like, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a strategy that, that creates conversations amongst your customers every day, week, month, quarter, year. This is a – ideally, you get something like 30 years with a, with a cookie. Um, so relevancy is important because if it's not – it doesn't make sense in the context of your brand, then people are like, well, I, I guess that was a story worth telling, but I don't really understand the story. Mm-hmm. And, and the story spread gets gets – reduced because it's incongruent in some way. So in Doubletree's case, there's 14 brands in the portfolio. They each have their own brand positioning because as a hotel chain, you don't want to be competing against one another for the same traveler, and you want to try and kind of have enough space there to operate in the market best you can. Their brand position at Doubletree is the warm welcome, the warm welcome. So what they want to do is own that seven or eight minutes between when you set foot on property and when you set foot in your room. And subsequently, Doubletree spends more time, money, effort on lobby design than most hotels at that price point. And they spend more time, money, effort on front desk clerk training than most hotels at that price point. And the chocolate chip cookie ceremony, and it is a ceremony, they turn, they take it out of the oven, warm, put it in a paper sleeve, and then hand it to you, hand-to-hand pass. That's the brand standard. It's not, it's, not, it's not just grab one. It's a hand-to-hand pass every time. 
So their opinion, according to their CMO, who we interviewed for the book, is that the warm welcome and the warm cookie all fits together, you know, very neatly um, from a, um, a sort of psychology perspective. And so that's that's how they how they do it. Because you know, in, on the surface, you think hotel cookie. How does that make sense? But because that's sort of their positioning. Um, that's how they roll it together. Yeah, and you can see from your description, Jay, that it's not an innocuous idea or just a happenstantial idea. Having ovens in the reception is not something every hotel would want to do. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, you know, that's it. it you know, we, we we use the words word of mouth marketing all the time because that's just sort of how the phrase was coined. But a talk trigger isn't really marketing. That's the secret to this whole thing. Yeah, it's about actually it, it, it's making, the brand, it's making the brand it's come alive. Yeah, it's an operational decision that creates marketing advantages, don't get me wrong. But it's not marketing, not in the classic sense. It's not a price or a product or a promotion or a contest or a coupon or a campaign. It's something that you do different that customers notice. And, and so that requires operational expertise just as much, if not more, than marketing expertise. So uh, I like the book on, on many levels, Jay. Thanks. And amongst the things I liked were the ways you categorized and the taxonomy that you created around each. Um, the, let's say that uh, you, you had the uh, making it triggers remarkable, relevant, reasonable, repeatable, yep. and that seemed really, you know, appropriate. And 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 I could see how it would actually be a work to make that happen. You can't just sort of invent it. And you know, there's either some kind of company that used a really snarky individual to run social media. She ended up having lots of people following her, a lot of social, but it was completely irrelevant to the brand. And so you end up with lesser echo, as you were saying before, resonance. Yes. One of the things that, you know, as I was reading the book, I like kept on saying, oh, what about that? And what about one of, one of those things was, well, distribution. Because mm-hmm. you, you, how do you get the talk triggers to then amplify out, especially since so yeah. much of, of, of what's out there is dark? social as opposed to apparent yeah. social yes yeah so you amplification is the the sixth step of the six step process that we developed for talk triggers creation and it's the same process we use in our consulting firm by the way uh you you absolutely want to nudge customers about your talk trigger once it's operationalized and, and you sort of have it figured out so there's a lot of ways to do that uh how doubletree does it is uh, two threefold at least i can think of off the top of my head mm-hmm. one all of their shuttle vans that they use to shuttle people between double trees and airports all have giant, giant chocolate chip cookie stickers on them. So, and they don't, it doesn't even, no words, it just says double tree hotels and a giant cookie. And they're just sort of making the point like, oh yeah, we're the cookie guys, right? Every once in a while in their social media, they will uh, do something about the cookies kind of in their, in their social, just to kind of remind you. And then each year they have a recipe book that they create uh, from chefs in their different hotels using the cookies in, in lots of different ways, right? And they do some some earned media around that, et cetera. So they're always just kind of keeping that fire lit for people just to remind them. Now, they're not doing a television commercial that says, we've got chocolate chip cookies. Like that's It's not that, right? So it's more of a nudge than a slug. Uh, and, and that's how we, how we recommend that people amplify their trigger uh, just to make sure that that uh, consumers, uh, you know, don't overlook it. So we're going to riff a lot on this double tree story because the next question really is about the the role of employees. Mm-hmm. So the Minter's approach to branding is that your number one fan has to be your employee, 
And at some level, who doesn't like a chocolate chip cookie? So yes. talk us through the inclusion of the employee in the talk trigger. What's the role of the employee throughout this process? Incredibly important because it is so operational, right? I mean, you think about a lot of team members at Doubletree have to do a lot of things right for this cookie to even exist, right? You've got planning, you've got logistics, supply chain, not to mention the person who actually hands over the cookie. They're, they're the end of the train. A lot of people have to be involved. And, and that's true of just about every talk trigger because it is so operationally rooted. Uh, your team members really have to be on board, not only just from an execution standpoint, but psychologically too. They have to believe in the talk trigger because a talk trigger by definition is probably going to be a little bit burdensome for the employees because it's like something else they got to deal with. Nah, man, bro, now we got to make cookies, right? So, so they've got to be bought into this whole plan. And, and that's why in the book, uh, in the how-to section, there's there's a lot in there about okay, you've got to have a cross-functional committee and you have to have them come to the meeting and here's what they bring to the meeting. It's really detailed, uh, the part that, that we wrote about how to actually build one of these and get it approved inside businesses. And I'll tell you just as an aside, as a, as a, as a consulting firm, when we work on talk triggers and word-of-mouth strategy for brands, the hardest part is that part, is, is, is getting everybody inside the organization to understand why we're doing this and understand how they have to participate. They're not, they're, you know, they're no, we, we don't find people are hostile to the idea. It's more like, well, why do we need to do this? We've been in business for 25 years or whatever the circumstances are. Uh, I think sometimes it's easier for smaller, newer businesses to do word of mouth because they don't have, they're, they're not so, um, you know, set in their ways. It's another example of how in business today, almost any angle you take it, the the answer is it's about transforming people. Yeah, that's right. Whether yeah, it's I could, digital I or... Yeah, social, uh, customer service, which is what my last book was about, all of it, right? Um, you know, the, the, the people are the business. It doesn't matter what business you are. Uh, ultimately, the people are the business, and and one person can can create uh, word of mouth for your brand, and one person can absolutely ruin it. Right? We've all had experiences of that. The brands that we actually support and feel good about have had you know one bad actor, or at least a bad actor on a day that 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 really changed your perception of that brand for a long time, just because one person who works there, uh, you know, had a had a had a misstep. You know, and it's. Uh, it's hard to be in business, right? Because there's so many points of failure. I did a um, an event last week for a software company and got to interview a famous uh, chef, and and it was one the Top Chef TV show and all that. And she's terrific and and owns a whole series of restaurants. And I was talking to her. I said, "Man, you're super smart. Like you could you could be in any business. Why would you choose the restaurant business? Right? It's like so incredibly cutthroat." And you talk about a difficult customer experience scenario. I mean, you've got a lot of staff turnover and specials change every day. I mean, there's just so many points. The regulations. Oh, my God. It just, you know, I, I think my dad owned a restaurant when I was a kid. And I was like, I knew from the jump. I'm like, I'm not going down that road. This is too hard. I mean, so many things can go wrong that are out of your control. Uh, and and then you get somebody you know, complaining that their soup is cold, and I don't know. It just is. It's a lot. It's a lot. So another another point that really struck me, Jay, in the book. Um, so along the lines of it, everything leads to transformation. You also make a, a real point of the anchor. You need to be focused on customer satisfaction and making mm-hmm. your 
have a commitment to customers as a sort of the anchor thought to making your talk trigger work throughout the organization. Yeah. Talk, yeah. Us, talk us through that point. Well, all right. The worst way to create a talk trigger is the way that everybody wants to do it after they read the book or hear the presentation or listen to the podcast, which is to sit in a conference room and brainstorm it. Because if it was that easy, you'd already have one. And the problem with that approach, um, in addition to it over emphasizes or, or, or sort of oversells your own ability to figure one out, is is that it's not about what do you think is talkable. It's about what your customers will find talkable. And that's not always the same thing. So what we talk, what, what we really advise in the system is to spend a lot of time interviewing customers and quite literally take your customer journey and, and talk to customers and say, at this step of the process, when you were buying from us, what did you expect would happen? Because once you know what customers expect, you by definition know what they don't expect. And the talk trigger, the gold in the river, always lies where the customers don't expect it. Because that's what makes it a story worth telling, right? If they, you know, if they see it coming uh, from a mile away, uh, then, then you know, my, maybe they'll tell that story. But, but the element of surprise, at least at some level, uh, has has a storytelling amplification effect. So, so we 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 really suggest that people spend a lot of time, uh, you know, understanding what existing customer expectations are, and then doing something that falls outside of those expectations. Yeah. So, um, I, I recently watched a documentary about modern art. And uh, Jeff Koons and, and all, mm. all these other things. And a lot of that's sort of about creating surprise and sometimes mm. just being confrontational for the sake of being confrontational. Yeah. It, it seems that we're up against that as well when we're trying to cut through. There's yes. an, another example that um, you, you talk about, which got my eyebrows raised, was the Umqua Bank, mm. where yeah. you can, uh, any person can go into any branch and press one on the on the golden phone, and you get mm-hmm. through directly to the CEO. So yeah. my question to you is, Jay, how can that be repeatable uh, or scalable? You know, yeah. in, in any organization, it 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 is, and, and it's a big branch. I think they've got like four hundred branches. Like it's a big bank, uh, and they do it in every one. And and I guess the good news for them uh, is that most people. Don't do that. It's more that it's more the sure. perception they could. Right. So on average, I think they get about six calls a day, something like that, and about five of them are people thinking like, "Oh, I thought this was fake," <laughs> <laughs> and they hang up. Well, because there is then, maybe in us an inherent understanding that that would be just cheap to to. I mean, let's yeah. say forget those five who make the mistake fuel, but overall. That's a real privilege to have that opportunity. Yeah. And if I do it, I could, and just for the sake of it, I could ruin the whole opportunity for when I really yes. needed it. Yes, yes. I think it does have that kind of effect on people. Uh, I love that that example because it's one that uh, that any business could do, right? I mean, he, and it goes right to him. It's not fake. It goes right to the to the bank president. Uh, if he's not at his office or, or traveling or whatever, it goes to his assistant and, you know, she takes a message, goes directly to her. It's not, you know, it doesn't go into some sort of like, you know, press three for this and press seven for that. It's a real thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they've gotten some interesting customer comments from folks who have called that hotline and said, you know, I think you guys could maybe do this a little differently or I'm not happy about this thing. So, so it, it has provided some, some interesting customer insights as well. Not, not, uh, uh, you know, on a sort of mathematically rigorous basis, but right. uh, I, I just like that one because anybody could do it. 
they just choose not to. There's another example, not in the book, uh, that that I learned about more recently. There's an a, an accounting firm in Indiana, not too far from me actually, called Bogdanoff and Dodges. It's a small accounting firm, uh, two principals, uh, Bogdanoff and Dodges, and a couple of associates, and they do small business tax accounting and personal returns and stuff. There's there's tens of thousands of those businesses in the states, like literally tens of thousands all pretty unremarkable at the surface. But these guys have a great talk trigger. And, and it surfaces, if you do uh, a search for them on Google, you look at their Google reviews, they've got dozens and dozens and dozens, <clears throat> excuse me, of Google reviews for an accounting firm, which is in and of itself really unlikely. Uh, and when you dig a little deeper, you realize that all these reviews mention their talk trigger. The way it works is they call back every client or email back every client within five minutes, every time. And, and if somebody's busy, then they pass it to the other guy or an associate. And, and so somebody will get back to you within five minutes every time. Now, I've had a lot of, a, a lot of accountants in my day, uh, some, of them quite, some of them quite good, but none of them have ever called me back in five minutes routinely. And if they did, would I tell that story to you and other people? Oh, hell yeah, I would. Yeah. Absolutely. I would be blown away by that. I would, certainly wouldn't expect it. It'd be a story that I would tell. And uh, I, was, I was doing an event recently to a bunch of accountants, and I'm like, everybody in this room could do this. All of you could do this. You just don't, right? You have to make some operational changes, but you could do it. Uh, you just choose not to. Speaking of tax, uh, your taxonomy. So that would be one of the speed talkable triggers. The one um, you, you're going to imagine not much of a surprise on this one, but the one that, of course, got my gander was the em- empathy uh, one, yes. because uh, that is, uh, and I love the fact that it was the first one. Was there any? idea that it had to be the first one was that just sort of by the way it goes and 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 i was particularly enthralled by that dentist who yes, uh, calls up everybody in advance with that empathic telephone call so t- tell us how you ended up with that taxonomy because i mean it wasn't obvious to me that it's it is one of the most obvious talk triggers yeah, it, it was interesting how we came up with uh, the the system, and, and the book is set up in the in the in the sort of whole scaffolding in a four, five, six approach. So it's the four requirements of a talk trigger, the five types of talk triggers, and the six step process for creating talk triggers. Four, five, six, easier to remember and kind of hangs together nicely for people. Mm-hmm. Um, you're referencing the the five types, and speed is is one, like Bogdanoff and Dodges, um, and generosity is one. So that's the free chocolate chip cookie at DoubleTree. Uh, empathy is is one that we um, always knew was going to be in the book. We just weren't quite sure how to how to portray it. I mean, I wrote a lot about that in my previous book, Hug Your Haters. Um, and what's interesting about empathy is it's one that wouldn't have made the list at at at, at a point in the past because treating customers with empathy and kindness and dignity and humanity didn't used to create a story. We just called that business. <laughs> that was just how things were done. That was the default state at one point in our lives. Uh, certainly not now. I think now we're operating in an era of empathy deficit. And because of that delta between sort of what um, what people want and what businesses will give them on the, on the empathy front, usually, uh, it becomes talkable now. So today, when you treat customers with disproportionate kindness and humanity and warmth, it actually creates stories. Uh, in the past, it, it probably would not have. So uh, in terms of the sequencing of the of the five types, uh, it was more to set up the stories in a certain way. 
um, so that we didn't get too many of the same kind of stories bunched together too closely in the sure. book. We tried to kind of, you know, sort of alternate a little bit between B2B and B2C and big and small and U.S. and global. And so uh, we, we didn't um, – it, it was more of a, a narrative decision than a, than a value judgment. In any event, of course, some of these things have generosity and speed, you know, like of the, course. the cookie yeah. right away yeah. and so on and so forth. So that's really yes. cool. Yes. Some of them, them definitely have – you know, it's yeah. – it's, uh, and even even Glenn Gorab, the the dentist that uh, you referenced, who who calls every patient before they even come to the office, which oh, blows people's yeah. minds. It blows our minds. Uh, you know that is empathy, uh, but you could also argue that it is usefulness because he's answering questions in advance, right? So a lot of the talk triggers when you sort of get into the categorization uh, probably check more than one box, and and that's and that's totally fine. I mean, even generosity of time, because he's not billing for the five of minutes course. either. He's That's giving right. it away. So the last part, Jay, um, as uh, an author like you, fascinated by the way you approach this book, because it does seem like you've taken it up another level according to uh, how you're promoting it with all the um, the, the podcast, the, uh, all the materials around the consulting yeah. behind it in the background. Mm-hmm. So um, you talk, talk us through about how you've approached this and what's working for us fellow authors to do what you're doing. You know, one of the things that I do that a lot of people don't do, and I'm not suggesting it's a superior method, it just is my method, is is I, I create a presentation, a keynote speech essentially, first, uh, and then tour that for a year. Uh, and if it works and people like it, then I write a book. And then I keep touring it, right? So most people write a book and then write a speech. I write a speech, make that speech great, and then expand the speech and turn it into a book. And and for me, that that works really well because by the time I get to the book, I've already worked out the principles and the examples and the stories on stage uh, in, in a pretty comprehensive way. And I think that helps um, you know turn it into a system. Uh, you know, in in the talk triggers case, I believe, and I think you'll probably concur that people are fatigued right now about about digital. Um, I both f- at- Jay, I think they're fatigued about everything right now. Yeah, I feel yeah. there's a general malaise. Yeah, uh, you've got the empathylessness. Yes. you've got the divisiveness, and and this general fatigue. Yeah, yep. And and you know, as businesses, people are like, geez, so now we have to put all our eggs in the Facebook and Google basket. Like, I don't like those guys. I don't trust those guys. Uh, and and I believe that we're seeing a a a almost a reversal of course and the pendulum is going to swing back the other way and we're going to start embracing um sort of offline mechanisms for customer acquisition instead of going all in on digital and ai and 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 machine learning and and you know what is what is more iconic and more effective than your customers telling your story for you, right? The, the best way to grow any business is word of mouth. And I will go to my grave on that point. Uh, and, and I feel like the time is right to say, you know what? Yeah, you probably should be good at Facebook ads. But if you're really good at this, that doesn't have to be that important to your business. And, and so um, we've been talking about uh, this idea of talk triggers at, in my company for eight and a half years. And then we finally sort of got it to the point like, all right, the time is now to, to write a book and put it out there and say, you know what? Um, the old ways might still be the best ways. 
And we love doing the, the word of mouth strategy side on the consulting basis. That's one of the things that you, you know, we think about how we marketed this book. One of the reasons why we took it up a notch is that we, we want to continue to do more of this kind of work. And, and so consequently, like, let's create a category um, a little bit and, and do some things that maybe we wouldn't have done in the past. Uh, I just launched a brand new show called the Talk Triggers Show. It's a weekly uh, video, six minutes. Uh, I may not week- know everything, but I know this. But I know this. That's the tagline. Thank you, sir. So each each episode is only six minutes, and it's a, it's a case study. It's a case study of a of word-of-mouth business. Super fun to do that show. Uh, and so when you think about kind of what's working, it's too early to say whether that's working, but but we wouldn't have done that in books in the past. We wouldn't have said, okay, let's launch a book, and then five months later start a whole show you know, so what we're trying to do with this one is is make sure that this book and this idea sells six months, twelve months, eighteen months, twenty four months, thirty six months down the road more so than what we've done in the past. Partially because the ideas and the recipe in this book is timeless. Some of the stuff I've done in the past is more digitally marketing focused. Where you know the drill. You know, the book is out of date as soon as it's published. In some ways, I, I have not had that experience, luckily. But certainly, we have friends who have been in that situation. So, um, this is more of a. I don't care about selling a million books in a week. I want to sell uh, a bunch of books every week for a lot of weeks. And so, it's just a different kind of go to market for this particular title than what we've done previously. In the end of the day, the way you've repurposed it, Jay, it seems to me that you've created a whole lot of talk triggers. <laughs> just by the way you're, you have the stories within it. So it's talk triggers of the talk trigger book. And and I and the proof of that is I, I cited one of the, 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 the dentist story in another podcast just the other day. Oh, so, um, but it, you're, you, I'll put a link in the show notes. I asked him to put that in, in the bottom there. So Jay, yes. speaking about selling this book, talk triggers, how could yes. somebody, if they would rush, to rush off to Amazon or somewhere else, what's the best way to go find more about talk triggers? What would you like to point to in the show notes? All the book uh, is, is available. All the ways the books can be procured, um, online, offline, audiobook, etc. Uh, the the best website is talktriggers.com, which has all the information on the book and then a tremendous amount of free resources. So there's discussion guides, there's infographics, there's research, there's videos, um, there's a, a PowerPoint presentation. There's a podcast. Uh, there's a podcast. Yeah, so there's a lot there um, that, that you uh, can absolutely take advantage of. Uh, and, and as you know, uh, we have a guarantee in the book that if people buy the book and they don't love it unconditionally, Daniel and I will buy you any other book of your choosing. And I'm happy to announce we had our very first person take us up on that offer just yesterday. Uh, and and uh, he said uh, about the book, I didn't like it. Uh, I would like you to buy us this book. And we said, that's fine. Uh, and curiously, we said, what didn't you like about the book? He said, there's too many case studies. And I said, yes, that's uh, that's the problem. These books have too much evidence. Darn. Too much Darn. Evidence. You, hug, you hug your hater. Jay, walking yeah. the talk as ever. Thanks for coming on the show. Great to <laughs> see pleasure. you. Congratulations. Thanks, Look forward bud. to hanging out with you again. I appreciate it. See you later. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on MinterDial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please like the handy Facebook button. Or better yet, head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. But first, relax to Josh Sachs's finger paint. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray.
of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. 